is Dan Clayton joining us here on 106.9 The Fan. Dan, hi, how are you? Hey, fellas. I was uh, glad to be back. Hey, uh, Dan, I, I don't even know where to start with you right now. Uh, the win <laughs> over Memphis, let's start there because that's a good note to start with. Uh, what impressed you the most about the Utah Jazz getting that win over the Grizzlies? Yeah, so, I mean, the Jazz obviously have had some uh, some skeletons in their closet in the clutch lately. So I think just mostly the fact that they that they kept fighting, that they that they worked through some issues. It wasn't a it wasn't a flawless close, right? I mean, they were up. Uh, I think at one point they were up seven with the ball in the last three minutes. Um, usually, you win that game in regulation. You know what I mean? Um, instead, they had to go to overtime because they made some mistakes. They missed some free throws. They missed a box out on the last possession, and that allowed. Kyle Anderson to grab an offensive board and put it back in to tie it. So it, it was not a flawless game, but I think if you're a Jazz fan, what you like about that close is the fact that when things got tough, um, yeah, they didn't play perfect, but they played hard. And they got themselves out of that mess by playing hard. And I think that's an important first step for a team that's got to just sort of get over some of those yips they've been having in clutch situations. Uh, I, I didn't get a chance to to hear what Quinn Snyder said as it happened in the pregame, but apparently he came out pretty spicy before the game uh, last night and um, really defending his team and saying, "Look, there's there's a narrative going on out there that just isn't true." So this team had their team meeting the other day. Quinn goes and kind of uh, gets some sauce. Uh, so this team looks like they're they're getting kind of fired up and uh, coming together at the right time, or is it too little too late? I mean, I, I don't think it's too little too late. Um, I, having said that, I do think that, like, getting fired up at media narratives and at tweets by fans, I, I kind of would rather see them get fired up over different stuff going into game 79 of the season. You know what I mean? Um, I, I like. I think that the Jazz are good. I've I've said all along that I think they're good. I think that even with all the with all the problems they've had, with the bad losses, with the with the fall from ahead, late game collapses, even with all of that, I still think this is a Jazz team that has talent to compete with anybody in a seven game series. I would not rule them out of a seven game series against any team in the league. Um, now, having said that. Do they have the mindset to win four games against Phoenix or four games against Milwaukee or four games against Memphis or four games against Dallas? Um, that I don't know. And I'm not sure that it convinces me to, when, when I see them sort of argue with media narratives. I, I think, like, you go and answer that kind of crap on the court um, is, is a little bit what I'd prefer. Now, having said that, like... A lot of the a lot of the narratives surrounding this team right now are not fair. A lot of them are, um, or or let me put it this way: they're not nuanced. I actually wrote about this on Monday at Salt City Hoops. Like the whole clutch conversation around Donovan Mitchell is a little bit silly because what we're really saying, if you if you like strip it all away and you look at like how real superstars perform in the clutch. What we're really saying is not that Donovan Mitchell needs to shoot less. It's that he needs to make more shots in the clutch, right? Like, nobody complains that Kevin Durant is too selfish in the clutch. Nobody complains that Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid or Steph Curry are selfish in the clutch. You want to know why? Number one, because they're MVP candidates. Number two, because they just make more of their shots, right? So, ultimately, 
that's what jazz, fan, jazz fans should want, is to see Donovan continue to be aggressive, continue to want to be the guy who takes tough shots and breaks defenses and responds to opposing schemes and does all that stuff, just that he does it a little bit better. And it's not hard to imagine because we've seen him do that, including in the playoffs, which is, you know, the most sort of hyper uh, intense atmosphere you can, you can imagine. So I, I think he'll be fine. How, having said that, I do think that if you look at specific instances, and I've done this on Twitter too, I've been guilty of the thing that Quinn Snyder railed against yesterday before the game. Like, there are specific instances where you can look at a play from a basketball standpoint and say, the right decision there to make from an X and O standpoint and a, and a standpoint of how do we maximize an advantage, the right play was for Donovan Mitchell to pass that basketball in this scenario, and he didn't. And, you know, like, look, I don't think that it should be considered a capital offense to point those things out. I also think the people on the other side of the argument need to relax a little bit and realize that, you know, for the Jazz to reach their absolute ceiling as a team, it means that Donovan Mitchell is probably playing like an MVP candidate. And that means like those guys I mentioned, like KD, like Joker, like Joel Embiid, he's, he's not passing up those shots. He's taking them and he's making them. Give me your frustration scale on 1 to 10 of Royce O'Neal so far. <laughs> I don't know if frustration is the right word. I think Royce, uh, yeah, look, Royce, uh, his, his, uh, his matchup difficulty is something the Jazz have been touting in recent days to try to get him some all-defense votes, and that's absolutely true of Royce. The role he has played historically on this team on defense is insane because not only is he taking – the most difficult defensive matchups, but he's guarding that guy, whether he's a four or a one. I mean, like one night he'll be guarding John Morant, and the next night he's guarding LeBron. I mean, it's it's just crazy what the Jazz ask of him. And so, in a way, it's it's kind of not surprising that by the time you roll around to game 80, that that he's struggling to get through some screens, and that he's and that he's tired, and that he might not have the legs to you know, take the shot when the ball rotates to him in the blender. Like, all those things are true. Um, I'm not sure it's frustration. I do think that there's a real conversation to be had around, um, and I say this as, like, I'm on record, guys. I'm a, I'm a Royce only proponent. I think he is a, an NBA starter caliber level player. Um, I think he makes the Jazz better more often than he makes them worse. But I think it has to be okay in certain contexts, on certain nights, against certain opponents, to say, hey, maybe Daniel House should close this game instead of Royce O'Neal. And, and Quinn Snyder, to his credit, did that last night. Yeah. And, and House was big. He came up big with some big stops. He also had what wound up being basically the, the winning three in overtime. It, it wasn't literally the winning three because it was early in overtime, but the Jazz never trailed after that right corner three that Daniel House hit. And that's a shot that Royce O'Neal has not been willing to take lately. So, you know, you take his unwillingness to participate in the offense, and then the fact that, you know, sometimes he struggles even at the end of the court where he's supposedly a specialist, right? He, he, can't, he can't get blown up on screens with the frequency that he does in the playoffs or else, you know, the whole defense is compromised. So that's, that's stuff the Jazz have to look at, and, and I, I think that, like, look, when, when, a, when a shooter, when Boyan Bogdanovich or, or Jordan Clarkson has a stretch where they can't make a shot, what do we say? We say keep shooting because we know that like shooters come out of slumps, right? I think that as a as a fan base and as a jazz community, we need to like give Royce the same benefit of the doubt and say, hey, he's struggling right now, but if he keeps working at it, eventually he'll work his way out of that slump. 
But in the meantime, I, I'm a big fan of what Daniel House brings to the team. I think he's got he, he's a tiny bit bigger. He's got more athleticism. He's a little bit more of a pest on defense. I, I think there are going to be nights like last night where Quinn Snyder just has to make a tough call and, and tell Royce he's, he's going to be a spectator for the last couple minutes of a game. On saltcityhoops.com, you guys put together an interesting list of scenarios that the Jazz, as an organization, need to be considering with personnel. I, I'm glad you put that together because I had no idea there were still some roster situations that needed to be sorted out. Uh, we've only got a few games left in this regular season, but they still have to figure some things out with their roster. If you can, just kind of run through that quickly and, and explain kind of the, the dilemma the Jazz are facing with only a few games left of the regular season. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so that was an article written by my uh, my brother from the same mother, Ken Clayton. Um, so yeah, as Ken pointed out, Trent Forrest, who, who has played a real role on this Jazz team um, as kind of a, a third point guard who who has helped um, Mike, uh, Mike Conley manage some, some workloads. Um, but, but, you know, even beyond that, like Trent Forrest has played. Trent Forrest has earned the trust of Quinn Snyder. And yet, because he's currently on a two-way contract, two-way guys are not eligible to play in the postseason. They, they were last year because the NBA made a special exception for, um, for the COVID season, but that, that kind of exception is not expected this year now that we're kind of past the worst of, of you know, at least this round of, of the pandemic. And so, um, you know, because of that, in order for Trent Forrest to be eligible to help the Jazz in the postseason, they would need to convert his contract by this Sunday and make him a standard NBA contract. Where that gets tricky is that now suddenly you have this injury issue with Hassan Whiteside that forced the Jazz to, to use a roster spot to bring in Greg Monroe, um, just in case there are nights that Hassan Whiteside can't go. The, the, the quick version on Whiteside's thing is he has, a, uh, he, he has a small fracture in his foot, and it's something he can play through, but it's, but it's you know depending on his pain. So if he has a night where he says, heading into game five of a playoff series, oh, the pain's too bad, I can't play tonight, what do you do if you're the Utah Jazz? They... they haven't had success playing centerless basketball. They, they've been like objectively bad when whenever they've played without Rudy Gobert, Hassan Whiteside, Yudoka Azabuki in the lineup. Um, Azabuki's out for the season, so if so, if Whiteside is kind of in and out of the lineup, do the Jazz need an emergency five? And if the answer to that is yes, then they've got a tough decision to make in these last three or four days of the season, which is do you use that last roster spot on Forrest because Quinn Snyder clearly trusts him to run the offense in certain scenarios. Do you use it on Monroe because you need insurance at the five spot? Or the other scenario that Ken laid out is, do you waive someone else so that you have an extra roster spot and you can keep both of those guys? But there aren't great candidates for that either because most of those candidates for who the someone else is are guys that you know could have a future with the team, either because they're under contract past this season or the Jazz have restricted free agent rights, those sorts of things. So it's it's going to be a tough call. I'm sure what the Jazz would prefer is that the NBA at the last second make a decision to allow two-way guys to play in the playoffs. But since it doesn't seem like that's going to happen, at some point they got to make a decision between Trent Forrest as an emergency point guard solution or Greg Monroe as an emergency uh, backup center solution. Or, like I said, 
give someone else walking paper so they can afford to keep both guys. So, with that, let me throw you a crystal ball, put you on the spot. Who's gone next year? And when I say who, I mean Quinn, Don, Rudy. Yeah, I think that really, really depends on what kind of a postseason they have. Um, I do think that the Quinn Snyder stuff, like, my read on that um, is that it's probably overblown by some percent. Um, But keeping in mind that, like, look, this is true for all of us, right? Like, Like, if your employer came to you and said, I want you to commit to be here forever, even though we might fire you tomorrow, like, like that's, you know, Quinn, Quinn has a right to look at what his professional goals are and, and what he wants to accomplish as an NBA head coach and make a decision about whether Utah is the right place for him to do that. Um, I, I don't think he's currently out there acting like a free agent and taking meetings. So I think mostly what's, what's out in the, in the ether as far as Quinn's interest level and other situations is mostly just based on conjecture. Um, but I, but I really back to the back to the larger question I just gave you there, Ajay. I, I think really, honestly, it's it's a question of can they get past the second round this this postseason, which is going to be tough because their seeding isn't going to make that easy to get out of the second round. They're going to have to go back to back in series, beating either Dallas and Phoenix or Golden State and Phoenix, and those are both two pretty tough paths. Um, I think if they can succeed in doing that and maybe those three guys look each other in the eye at the end of the season and say, hey, you know what, we, we have a chance if we, if we make some changes, if we improve the supporting cast, if we do some of those things, um, let's, let's ride it out, let's, let's stick this out and see what we can do with another season together. Or, yeah, if they fall short of that, then I do think it gets to a point where guys start to wonder, you know, could I have a little bit more success playing next to a different running mate or Quinn may at that point start to wonder, hey, am I going to realize my ambitions as an, as an NBA head coach here in Utah, or do I need to change my zip code to, to, be, the, to be the type of, you know, Quinn, Quinn is a guy who, like, he, he's in the job he's in because he wanted to have a special career, right? Like, he wanted to be, he, he, has, a, he has a JD MBA. He could have done almost anything. He's a brilliant guy. He's doing this because he wants to be someone that people remember his name for lack of a, of a better way to say it. And look, if, if Utah gives him a pass to do that by, by continuing to compete for championships, then I think he'll stay and he'll be loyal. And, and the guy he learned from, one of the guys he learned from is Greg Popovich, who did exactly that in San Antonio, despite it being a smaller market. He just, he, he forced it to be a viable situation where he could, you know, perennially or almost perennially contend. Um, and, and I think that Quinn would be open to that if that's what the situation evolves into in Utah or, or remains in Utah, depending on your point of view of, of how much of a contender they are today. But, but again, I think it all comes down to, like, those three guys want to be great. They, all three of them are hungry for greatness, and they're going to do what gives them the best chance to be great. Dan Clayton with Salt City Hoops. Uh, the Jazz are facing the playoffs. We know they've clinched nothing less than the sixth spot, currently in the fifth position. From your point of view, who's the better matchup, Dallas or Golden State? Uh, I mean, that's a little bit like, you know, asking if I want to walk the plank or 
get a bullet, right? Um, <laughs> those are those are two tough tests. I think um, I think Golden State has more ways to kind of te- test and pull and tug at some of those threads that supposedly Utah struggles with. Um, I do think their struggles against small ball teams are overstated some, but hey, we saw last Saturday night in San Francisco, even in a game Steph Curry didn't play, like once the Warriors forced the Jazz to, to defend them five out, um, and then and then on the other end, the Warriors were switching everything, so it was hard for Utah to, to gain the same advantage from their pick-and-roll offense they do on a normal night. So, so I do think that Golden State probably has more ways to, to just throw a wrench in what Utah tries to do on both ends. Um, you know, there's still there's still a scenario where the Jazz could, you know, get out of facing either one, but it involves both of those teams losing out, or, or more accurately, it involves Golden State losing out and Dallas finishing one and two. So more likely than not, Utah's going to finish either in the fifth seed or the sixth seed, and that means that their opponent is going to be one of those two. And, uh, you know, hey, it's it's going to be tough either way. Like, like, in other words, what I'm saying to you there is, like, I think the answer is they'd rather face Dallas, but, like, who in their right mind would say, sign me up for seven games against Luka Doncic, especially the way that their defense has improved over the second half of the season. So it's 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 a tough one, man. It's rocking a hard place kind of analysis there. It's a real Sophie's choice. Dan Quaid of Salt City Hoops joining us here on the Full Court Press on 106.9 The Fan. Dan, final question, and I want to go back to a previous, well, the early portion of the interview. You said the Utah Jazz could beat anyone in the Western Conference. Do you truly believe that? Because the pessimistic Jazz fan and the realist in me tells me, no way, no how, first round exit, doesn't matter who. Do you really believe that, and why? Uh, Well, first of all, I said anyone. I said I think they can compete in a seven-game series. There's no way. I'm sorry. I, 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 (laughs) I, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm sorry. Ajay's not a believer. I'm not. I said they could compete. Like, look, I don't know if they'll win. I, like, if I'm honest, like, if if they started a series tomorrow against Phoenix, they'd be, like, 35 to 40% to win, and that's being generous, right? Like, but but they'll have a chance is what I'm saying. They'll they'll have a chance. And, and some of the reasons I believe that, Ajay, like, look, number one, and I, and I wrote about this on Monday, too, the, the Jazz um, – through three quarters this year, the Jazz have, have taken more leads into the fourth quarter than any other team, which means that their record right now is is largely a function of the fact that, like, they get a little bit disconnected late in games sometimes, right? So, and that matters. I'm not saying that, like, those last 12 minutes of sample size matter any less than the 36 minutes before. It all matters. It's all part of who this team is. But I'm just saying that, like, the Jazz have have shown us evidence of what their dominance looks like. They just have had a hard time sustaining it. Um, one of the reasons they've had a, a hard time sustaining it is, again, back to our discussion earlier, like Donovan Mitchell has struggled to make shots in the clutch this year. Do we think that's a permanent condition? I kind of don't. I, like, he's having an outlier year, an outlier bad year, uh, Donovan is in the clutch. So if his clutch percentages start to regress to the mean, um, the Jazz are certainly healthier right now than they've been really since December. That's another factor that has influenced their record and, and makes them, I think, look weaker than they are in real life. 
But yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I get the I get the pessimism, AJ, because at the end of the day, you know, we've all seen these performances where they lead by twenty five against the Clippers in the second half and they cough it away by just playing bad and playing dumb and not playing connected. And that worries me. That that still worries me. Um you know, the Golden State close also worries me. That one, I, I think, in a vacuum, is, is as worrying when you consider everything that Golden State was doing. I think that I understand that one a little bit better. That one was less just one that, that the Jazz coughed it up and, and more one that I think the Warriors reminded us of their excellence and their discipline and their ability to force a team to play a certain way. But, you know, all of those collapses matter. But so do the, you know, whatever it is now, 28 wins, I think, um, that they've had when their starters have all been healthy, right? So it's, it's a little bit, you, you just have to zoom out and look at the whole sample. And when, and when you do that, I do think there's evidence that this Jazz team is as good as anybody. Now, are they better than some of those teams? That's what you find out in a seven-game series. But I, I, I'm telling you right now, like, I... I like the Jazz have been competitive with the Phoenix Suns in the regular season, even though none of those none of those matchups they've played three times so far. Neither team was was full for any of those games. Right, the Jazz were without Rudy and Don in one of them and kept it close until the fourth quarter. Um, the the Suns were without Chris Paul in one of them and lost by four at home to the Jazz. Like they've all been close. Um, they're also not particularly predictively valuable because ultimately you want to see Chris Paul and Devin Booker go up against Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell before you make an assessment on who's where. But, you know, we're going to get a chance to see not just the macro quality of those moves, but in terms of game planning and what teams try from, a, from an X and O perspective and how the, how the adjustment game unfolds. I think it's going to be fascinating. Um, it's just too bad that it's probably going to happen in the second round now. Because it means that in order for the Jazz to really burst past that level and consider their postseason a success, they have to do something really amazing, which is topple a number one seed, um, a, a historically good number one seed. I mean, the Phoenix Suns are, are really quite scary, but um, we'll see. We'll see if the Jazz can do it. I mean, again, there are a lot of macro indicators that say that they that they are on the level of the Phoenixes, the Golden States, the Dallases, the Milwaukee's, the Philadelphias. I. I I think I wouldn't count them out in any series against anybody um, if they're healthy. Dan, you're one of the best. Uh, SaltCityHoops.com. Find Dan Clayton and his great work. Dan, thanks so much for your time. Best wishes, bud. Great stuff, Dan. Appreciate it. You bet.